As a heads up today, we're going to be broaching some very sensitive and controversial subjects. Uh, We'll be touching on things like religion, politics, and suicide. Uh, And while we don't necessarily support or denigrate any specific belief system, uh, because of the subject matter, they will be touched on today. This is a Hive Mind Studio production. Hello, gods and goblins, deities and deviants, and my fellow what-the-fucks. You are listening to episode four of Playing With Advantage, an informative podcast about the various aspects, origins, and histories of the tabletop role-playing game. I, as always, am your host, Kenneth Moffat, a.k.a. Southern D&D. And with me is the man, the myth, the legend himself, James the Hive Master Bardwell. Hello, James. How are you today? I'm well, Moffat. Are you ready for this one today? I'm ready for this one. It, it is such a, a, a topic that resonates with me in so many ways. And the fact, folks, it's such a great topic that we cannot handle the awesomeness we had to bring a third. And lo, from the, from the technology cave itself is our tech goblin, Matt. Hello, Matt. Welcome, welcome. Hey, they, uh, they let me out for this one. So. Just today. Just today, yeah. Yes, after today you have to go back and do your job, okay? Don't get comfortable. So today's topic is one that we, we've talked about, we've mentioned, and honestly, honestly it's one that I've been looking forward to because of how, not only myself, but how much it's affected every aspect of, of, of life, and that is the satanic panic. Now, the satanic panic refers to a period uh, in the latter 70s to early 1990s where there was this real big push toward... This the fact that you know Satanism is everywhere and there's so much evil affecting our everyday lives and we just have to weed it out. Yeah, having having grown up during the Satanic Panic, like it is almost impossible if you were a part of this hobby during that time not to carry around some trauma. Oh, yeah. well, I mean, like, so you just mentioned growing up with it, and the unfortunate truth is most people view the Satanic Panic as of ending in the eighties and early nineties. Um, which unfortunately it's not the case, uh, for me personally, uh, it extended all the way up to the 2010s. I mean, it was very prevalent. Um, uh, going to, you know, peel back the curtain here for a little bit and let, uh, some people in on some information. Uh, some of you may know, uh, some of you might not, but we are in the deep South, the deep South. What is known as the Bible belt. Exactly. So, uh, it, it kind of had a extended life here. And um, it affected all of us, uh, even up to a few years ago. Um, you know, it's it's strange how most people believe that it ended, but it still. I mean, there's still some little ramifications by it. I mean, part of the reason why we're doing this episode was uh, spoilers for season three of Stranger Things. Um, four, excuse me, uh, I was wrong. Season four. Um, you know, there is a huge emphasis on the satanic panic in these episodes uh so we thought we'd uh i don't know milk it for a little bit of uh information i've had several people through various social medias ask me about you know hey well i I watch stranger things and dungeons and dragons they're talking about how like is is dungeons and dragons really evil and witchcraft and i've I've had to do video and it's and i'm glad that we finally get the chance to like lay the record out and go no this was basically the the one of the biggest examples of mass hysteria as a owner and operator of a hobby shop where a lot of Dungeons and Dragons happens, uh, I have had to multiple times talk with parents and kind of explain to them and, and, you know, dispel the illusion, so to speak, 
that is around Dungeons and Dragons and largely here in the South, like for up until even just a few years ago, uh, I have personally, you know, dealt with fallout from that issue. Now, we will be referring to Dungeons and Dragons mainly. Now, the thing is, this didn't just affect Dungeons and Dragons. Any of its imitators, any any similar role-playing game based in fantasy or based in things where the, the person, you know, quote-unquote, would cast spells or interact in certain ways or took on the persona of a character fell under fire from the satanic panic. It's just when you think role-playing game, the first thing you think of is Dungeons & Dragons. Yeah, yeah, it is the forefront there that kind of is the main consideration. I mean, it, I mean, it, it wasn't just fantasy. I mean, it went into music, it went into uh, art, art, just a, a lot of different things. I mean, it's giving away a little bit's coming up. You've yeah. got the whole big the, the trial with Judas Priest, that, yeah. that whole thing. That, but that's yeah, that's 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 I got that in my notes as well. Teaser. So yeah, let's let's get into it, and we'll get into it with an urban legend. Uh, Growing up, especially when I was a kid, you always had the your parents tell you the story of, you know, I've heard of this or a friend of a friend told me. And the biggest one was there was this kid who played Dungeons and Dragons and got cursed and thought the only way to, to solve this curse was to go down into the steam tunnels, the uh, utility tunnels under his school and perform a ritual. And he got lost and died. Now, I... Whether it be variations of it, whether it was he was in the woods, uh, you know, it was at a cabin somewhere. The whole thing was is that it was because of Dungeons and Dragons specifically led to this kid's death. Now, there is, like most things with legends, there is a small kernel of truth to that. And this, folks, again, uh, trigger warning, content warnings. We're about to get into some very, some very deep and mature topics with this. And this, this kernel of truth revolves around a young, a young troubled man named James Dallas Egbert III. Yeah, so there are so many variations of this, but from, from my understanding and you know, looking for a little clarification there, uh, they did eventually find him alive. However, you know, I, I think it was a month or so later he, he wound up committing suicide. And sadly, it was, I believe, uh, uh, in 1982, so about three years later, after five different attempts— Oh, wow. he, he finally did, sadly, take his life. Uh, now, the give a bit of history about about this this young man, James Dallas Egbert III. At sixteen years, I'm sorry, at fifteen years of age, entered into Michigan State University in computer studies. Now, this is this was the uh, the the late seventies, early eighties. Computers were still brand new. Yeah. So, in the the fact that Michigan had a computer studies course meant that it was probably at the forefront. Of, of this technology, meaning there was a lot of attention on this. Also, a 15-year-old coming into college, that even in this day and age, there's a lot, of, that's a lot of pressure. Now, this whole urban legend came about that he was reportedly disappeared from his dormitory on August 15th in 1979. He was found later in the steam tunnels beneath his school. Uh, he was alive at the time. Uh, the, the reason he went down there, unfortunately, is because he had consumed a large amount uh, I'm, I may butcher the actual scientific name of this, methoqualone, which we know, the older generation would know as quaaludes. This is a, a very, it is a sedative hypnotic drug that was very popular during this time. Uh, and he had intended to commit suicide in those tunnels. Uh, thankfully, he survived. He was found. It was actually later reported he, was, he left and went to a friend's house because the following day was Gen Con, and he actually was seen around one of the early, the first Gen Cons there that they had. Uh, now, 
Unfortunately, he would later, m- much later, take his own life. Uh, but this whole this whole thing about Dungeons and Dragons came from when he was initially lost. When when they were searching for him, his parents hired a private detective by the name of William Deer. Now, Deer went to his uh, dormitory and began looking through things, and he found several books and notebooks containing information about a game that Egbert played called Dungeons and Dragons. And Deer made a speculation that perhaps Dungeons and Dragons led to him, led to this this change in his thought pattern. He later came out in a book and said this was totally incorrect. That the all of this was due to uh, to Egbert's cause. It was caused by his depression, due to massive parental pressure, due to his uh, his drive to want to be a good college student, drug addiction, and repression of his own sexuality at the time. Because apparently he was having homosexual tendencies. Uh, he was relying, telling close friends about this, but nobody would listen to him, and nobody would let him open up to him. Uh, so unfortunately, it was just this 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 young troubled individual. Who it was just coincidental he played Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, like it him being a fifteen year old in the environment he was in at that college, like that has to make you feel kind of like a fish out of water, right? And D and D, one of the great things about it is that it appeals to people who sometimes feel disenfranchised, you know. And perhaps that was an opportunity for him to meet friends, to have a social circle. The great thing about D&D is that in, in a life where you feel like you do not have any control, this gives you some element of control. Yeah. And it's like, it's why the disenfranchised people, the ones who, you know, normal society views as quote unquote, the weirdos tend to gravitate toward it because we have this world where we have control over what happens to us. Now, the the newspapers, then this... This is where the big issue came with. This was a time before the internet. This was before the time before you, the, the common person, could do your own fact checking. At this time, all you had were newspapers, news uh, like you know, television news agencies, and daytime talk shows. Which, yeah, we look back now, daytime talk shows, those things, you no, know, back in the day, those were a reputable source for information. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Irrefutable. What, uh, what was, uh, like, Sally Jesse Raphael, was that her name? That yeah. was another oh, yeah. one. There was yeah. Ricky Lake and all these other, Oprah Winfrey. Oh, Oprah was a really big one. Now, when the detective, William Deere, spoke to the media, he did mention, hey, you know, this kid did this and this and this. Oh, by the way, he also played Dungeons and Dragons. The media heard this and latched onto it and went, hey, so you mean to tell us that a a reason he did this was because he played Dungeons and Dragons? They took that connection and ran with it. And the sad thing is, later on in his book uh, called The Dungeon Master, when Deer came out and said, yeah, I misspoke, it was all these other reasons, nobody in the media went, okay, we messed up. Uh, there uh, There was no redaction of any kind. And really, that's what started leading to the push, because even if they had taken the chance to go, okay, we messed up, this was the 70s and 80s, that information would still take a while to get out. And by that time, you know, damage is already done. Yeah, sensationalism sells. And this was a point in time in history where um, media was kind of like the Wild West. Like you said, you couldn't fact check, you couldn't, you know, Google and get more information than what you were given, you had to make your inferences based on what was shown to you. Hey, it's kind of a, a weird jump to left field, but the movie Anchorman, there actually is, yeah, it's, it's hyperbole, it's exaggerated, but there actually is a, an almost a, a, an ounce of truth in the fact that like, you know, Ron Burgundy is this massively famous, uh, you know, celebrity throughout his city, yada, yada, yada. 
that ratings and ratings and ratings, that's what it was. Ratings was pushing everything. The more ratings you had means the more viewers, means the more people want to put their advertisements, yeah. more networks want to pick you up. That means more money. Uh, and unfortunately, nobody in the media ever stopped, stopped to think, okay, yeah, I understand we want ratings and money is what we need as a business, but can we get some truth? And now, yeah, now, nowadays, thankfully, with the availability of information, a lot of your bigger news sources, they have to go fact check this stuff. Or they will get sued massively. Oh, yeah. But at this time, there was not anything in place to prevent this cessationalism. Yeah. And that's really what caused, and, and poor Egbert, he was kind of, he was kind of the unwilling scapegoat. Where, you know, because you know, from this, other books would be written. Uh, the Hobgoblins was one. Another story about a, about a young man who begins to play D&D, becomes disenfranchised, becomes uh, almost, um, almost hallucinatory, and he begins to like, go out and fight things. And it turns out what he's fighting are like animals and people. And he actually is dealing more damage. But the big one that, and the most famous is a little book called Mazes and Monsters. Uh, and this, this is a story also involving uh, a single role player who becomes disenfranchised with reality, believes that he himself is his character, and almost, almost ends his own life because of the game. Now, of course, they couldn't call it Dungeons and Dragons, so they switched it, and you had Mazes and Monsters. Yeah, so, that would have been an excellent way to get sued. Oh yeah. <laughs> have you all seen the movie? Yes, uh, that I, I, I've I've seen bits and pieces, but yeah, that's the thing. What also is the fact that Mazes and Monsters in the early '80s was made into a very low budget film, uh, which is sad because the lead of this is one very very young. If you want to reveal who it is, uh, Woody. It's Tom Hanks. It's Tom Hanks. Yeah, himself. it's Tom yeah. Hanks. Uh, you, yes. And, do you not know watch Toy Story? Yes, I do. Okay. <laughs> you looked at me like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yes, it is It is a very young Tom Hanks. Very who young. The, I mean, yeah, very young. His acting, you can tell it's, it's cheesy and corny. I think the very end of the movie, when he goes, what am I doing here? It's not him, his character, asking the other <laughs> character. It's Tom Hanks going, wait, did I just really act in this? What What am I it's doing a, here? It's a cry of help. It's a cry Tom of Hanks. help from Tom Hanks. Why am I in this B movie? I mean, would you call that a B movie? That's not even. I, 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 it, I think like it's further. I think it's way deeper in the alpha. Uh, it? I, it, I'm going to call it an S movie for obvious reasons. Oh. I mean, I kind of forgive Tom, but yeah, I mean, it, Tom was young. That that's fair. People make mistakes when they're young. But sadly enough, the, this the the list of games, uh, the, the the list of books and such that based off of you know the the disenfranchised people, you know, mm-hmm. kind of coming to coming to an area where they're not you know they're not mentally sound and they're hurting themselves with their people. That was just the beginning and. The the fact that you had all these so-called and self-level experts who, who write these books and pushing this narrative of Dungeons and Dragons, you know, being being harmful, uh, you know, being uh, being detrimental, and in some cases being outright satanic. What I know, you said like the so-called experts, and that's I feel like that's important because going back and looking over some of the material that was written and stuff, you can tell that these people were not experts. They were not. They they had not touched the game at all, hadn't seriously looked at it. it. It was picking up on sensationalism and driving that car. So, like, with these experts, quotation marks, like, did they, like, make up a title? Like, uh, I am a... Uh Master level occult investigator, or how did how did they how did they get to the point where they were viewed as experts? I mean, these people kind of uh, came the, out of woodwork. Right? The one the one that I found was a he called himself a doctorate in 
Doctorate in Studies Revolving Tabletop Role-Playing Game and Its Effect in Occult Scenarios. That's actually a cool title. Miss Can P- I have that title? Miss Pullings was another one, and um, she she uh, became a private investigator. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was her so-called area of expertise. And her, you know, her story comes from a tragic beginning of, as well. Her son mm-hmm. played role-playing games and had committed suicide. You know, and that is truly tragic. And there is empathy there for that. It does and what we will get because that that is actually the next thing is the the story of of uh, Patricia pulling her son Irving. But another thing that pushed this was this was during the 70s and 80s. This was during the, what you would call the height of the Cold War. The the fact that in America at that time, there was so much fear mongering. There was so much fear being put to the American public. Being, you know, that the communists are at your door or now with the fact that at the time, because there was a connection between uh, the, you had the good American conservative Christian values versus the evil red menace so evangelicals were starting to use this platform to gain political power. And when with the gaining of political power, they could put their own personal doctrines and belief into effect. And so you also had a push of this. Well, there's also uh, now with the war on drugs. Kind of, this is the war on drugs are starting to get, get real hit, hit real big because this was the 80s. Rodney King was just right around the corner and all this yeah. other this other stuff was happening. But it came to it came to a breaking point really in 1982 with this again this this poor young man named Irving uh, Irving Pulling. Uh, you, you mentioned his mother Patricia. In 1982, Irving Pulling also unfortunately committed suicide. Uh, and now while Patricia was going through her son's room, she found numerous composition books containing various. Her quote was various Dungeons and Dragons spells, magics, and satanic symbols. I'm pretty sure, hindsight, she probably found his notations on his characters, probably some doodles about various things. Uh, but it was she was sure that this material, specifically the mention that her son's character was cursed in a previous game, led to her son's death. That is exactly what caused him to take his life, was because this is how he could break that curse. Yeah, and I can I can almost probably assure you that D&D was an avenue with which to try to connect socially. Yes. Uh, and and that's probably because there was something missing there. Like, I, I have not studied that case. Um, I know you've got some really good notes there on it. Um, but just from a social standpoint, a personal standpoint, for me, there was, there was really a time in my life where I felt uh, socially at a new school, out of touch. And, you know, D&D kind of yeah. brought me into a social circle and it helped me develop healthy relationships. Now, the, the thing is, this like this wasn't just a... Because, unfortunately, as much as it, as it pays me to say, a, a, a suicide is not national news. It, it's, it should be. Anytime where the, the system fails somebody to that degree, where they think the only out they have is that, is that, that kind, of, kind of situation. However, Patricia was able, uh, at the time with the whole satanic panic kicking off, they, they found this, and Patricia was actually given a segment on 60 Minutes. For the younger listeners, I don't even know if it's still around, but 60 Minutes at its time was the number one news station. It was the, like back in the day, you had 60 Minutes, you had 2020. Those were your big news outlets. And she went on there and basically said that Dungeons & Dragons is satanic, the symbols it uses, my son was casting spells, he summoned demons, and he was making deals with Satan himself. No good Christian person should have anything to do with this. And they, 60 Minutes, they didn't stop her, they didn't fact check anything, 
They, 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 they saw what was a grieving mother, and they let her have her moment to express herself. And unfortunately, Patricia, for all of her good intention to start with, it kind of, it kind of led to a bunch of bad things. Literally, like she, she started a, a, I'm not trying to make a joke, but she started a group called Bad, bothered about Dungeons and Dragons. And now it is easy in hindsight to look at people like Patricia Pulling, William Deere, and this organization and say, yeah, these are the bad guys. But at the time, they, they thought what they were doing was right. Like they, yeah. Patricia, look, I, I cannot, I do not know if, what it feels like to lose a child, especially to lose a child in such a, a horrific way. Yeah, but I I can understand as a, for someone I understand that how as their parent she is is grasping for answers she is looking everywhere, and to the point where she is so scared to maybe take a step back and go did I cause this that she wants to latch on the first thing that makes sense and run with it and in a way Patricia also is a victim of this yeah uh, but yeah she like I said she went on to found a an organization called Bothered About Dungeons and Dragons. And actually would go on to receive a private investigator's license. Now, back in the day, private investigators were a big deal. They they were they were respected to some aspects. In fact, in some court cases, they were given as they could give expert testimony because that that license meant, you know, hey, you have to have done your your due diligence. You're an investigator. Uh, she became a private investigator, self-labeled expert. In occultism related to role-playing games. So during that time, uh, both my mother and father both had their PIs license, and uh, if I remember right, I think it was like a forty-eight-hour course. Yeah. Uh, unless you unless you were getting a firearm, now I think it was a couple hours longer for that because so forty-eight hours. Forty-eight yeah. hours. Yeah, it's a, it's a forty-eight-hour course. You pay for your license. Um, and you take a test at the end of it. if you want your firearm. I think it's another two hours. And then you get the ability to give expert testimony. To put that in into court. to put that into into and this is you know apples to apples to oranges. Mm-hmm. But I looked for a while looked into becoming an auctioneer. Uh, it takes three weeks and three thousand dollars to become an auctioneer. I mean that's like barbers. I mean they have to. Well, the opposite would be barbers. Yeah. Um, because the health risks there, barbers have to do numerous numerous hours and training but i mean you could say that yeah there is some health risks there but at the end of the day i mean a barber is not gonna really ruin someone's entire life yeah, you know your hair uh, will you grow back feel like it yeah. you may feel like it when like actually I have a long spot here <laughs> <laughs> so look i got a really bad haircut the day of my wedding <laughs> um i'm not gonna say it ruined my life but it definitely put a flavor yeah, on yeah. things. Well, but, but at the end of the day, see, we're, we're laughing about it now. Yeah. yeah. So, but when you have someone who can give an expert witness testimony and potentially put you in jail for a very and that's very the long thing time. because they're that as as like we're not talking about they they told this to a newsman. No, no, no. She was called multiple times by prosecutors looking to ban Dungeons and Dragons from various schools, from various institutions. As an expert witness, she gave expert testimony, which meant she was under oath. Yeah. And I mean, I'm not, I'm not blaming her for her uh, view on it, because I understand the, the ramifications of it. But for me, it was the bewilderment of the way that the system set yes. up in this way, where it allows somebody to unintentionally maybe do harm. It, it is simpler to get a, a license, to procure a license as, as an investigator and name yourself an expert witness and ruin, potentially ruin people's lives, ruin people's reputations than it is to, you know, 
cut someone's hair or to do things where there is an actual some kind of risk of of you know of endangerment. Yeah, it's and the fact that thankfully nowadays a lot of PIs and private investigators aren't called, they aren't seen because now we have the forensic sciences and that kind of stuff to where, you know, you have to give more than just a, well, I'm a private investor. Like you have to have certain mm. criteria, thankfully. But at the time they didn't, like they didn't have access. Like we take for granted the, the amount of information that is literally at our fingertips. Like folks, you can't see it. I'm holding up a, an iPhone. There is more technology in this phone than what was used in the first moon landing. Oh yeah. And the fact that this is so commonplace today, as opposed to, you know, uh, 40, 50 years ago when this stuff was taking place. I remember doing uh, book reports and things like that and sitting down with the Encyclopedia Britannica. Oh, yes. That my grandmother had. And it was just this wall of books. And if you wanted to write a book report or something, you had to. You had to sit down and flip through those. And, and But the thing is, those only came out once every 10 years. Yeah. That means if you didn't have the most up-to-date... You were you were behind in the times. I yeah. can remember doing reports where we had to find news articles, meaning we sat and watched the ten o'clock news and wrote things down. <laughs> that yeah, and the but the fact that in those, those times, the fact that that information was not available is what really kind of led to people going, well, hey, you know, she she is an expert. They called her testimony. Maybe there is some truth in what they what she said, and she would investigate any crime. Where D and D or any sort of role playing game had the tiniest or the most vaguest of connections, and when it was determined as the majority of actually as most of these were that the game had little or no influence over what happened, I, I think there was one or two times where yes, the guy played D and D, he got mad, and then in his anger did something. Uh, but it was determined that the game had no influence. She would say, "Quote: There is a cover up." Like she, she is. Yeah. She went on record saying this is indicative of a cover up. The fact that our children are out there dying, and apparently what she thought was the droves, which, by the way, the the amount of cases I found where D and D was even mentioned in my looking was at most seventy eight. And of the seventy eight, only three were ever showed to have any sort of influence over the action of the individual. Uh, I know she also developed like. Uh, interrogation techniques and questions and stuff that were given out to law enforcement, and they picked up on yeah, that. She, like, you said she had an official list. Like there was a, mm -hmm. a printed piece of paper. Yeah, like one of the very first questions on the list was, uh, and, and in the question she would have italicized parts where she's got in the detective who's doing the investigation, and they would pressure to see who the dungeon master was for the group because that is the cult leader. And that, you know, that no doubt the kids would probably try to deflect and protect their leader and say that, you know, we take turns and that kind of stuff. Um, I, I, as a forever DM who's finally getting to play, <laughs> uh, I'm glad that the turn-taking thing started happening. Uh, as, as someone who was very happy being a forever DM, I just have to say, oh, no, they found me out. <laughs> uh, yeah, look, we, 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 we're going to kind of make light of a few of these situations because you, you kind of have to. If you actually stop yeah. and, and think about this, it's, the, it's saddening. The fact that the, like the two individuals I mentioned, uh, Irving and, and James, uh, they, they just needed people to listen to them, to talk to, let them open up. Yeah. And, the, and we'll get into some other stuff later. Uh, but... The thing is with Patricia Pulling, she it later came out that she had actually would take for testimony, would take news articles 
and literally change them, like really change the article to fit her narrative and to fit her testimony. And folks, that's not just wrong, that's illegal. It, it got to the point where so much came out that her uh, private investigator's license was revoked in the early 90s, and she quit the, the bad, bothered about Dungeons and Dragons. The, the, you will not find the organization today. It broke up with her death in, in 1997. Uh, but it's safe to say that thanks to, uh, due to her testimony, I must say thanks to, but due to her testimony and the, the way in which she carried herself, because that's the thing, you mentioned that this, this list was given to official law enforcement. Yeah. This wasn't like some random news person going, hey, let me, add. no, this was a officer of the law walking up to a lot of times a teen or, or young child going, who is your dungeon master? Who, you know, th- this kind of, and, and the child, I mean, as a kid, I was told you listen to the police, you answer their questions. Yeah. And there was so much damage that was d- done because of this. Do we know when the, uh, the list, when did that start falling out of practice with law enforcement? Do you, do you have that? Uh, the, I do have a note here that around the latter eighties, early nineties is really where, uh, bad kind of started falling. That was because there was a, mm-hmm. uh, there was a an article put out. Okay, uh, and we'll get into that. The article was written actually okay. by by someone who's very prevalent within the the nerd community. Uh, but the the next thing that came about is because again she was taking the stance of this is satanic. You know, my my son made it was cursed by Satan. The unfortunately, as somebody who grew up in this, and this is where I have seen this. This is probably where a lot of our anecdotal evidence will come into effect. Is the the group who really picked this up was the the Christian fundamentalist movement. Yeah, and that—that that is where I can, and this I can attest. That is where the most damage that came from the satanic panic was dealt, because religion is supposed to be answers. It's supposed to be a place to go when you're at your lowest to help you build yourself up to to where you need to be. And the fact that some people saw this and saw opportunity to this very day still makes my blood boil. Yeah, the using fear to manipulate people is despicable. Yes. And and the sensationalism that came along with these articles and the recognition that we can use this to meet our ends and the application of that's disgusting. Now, folks, I again kind of give a warning. I understand we're, we're not saying that that religion is, is is horrible. I understand that there are it helps millions of people. Spirituality helps millions of people. What we're going to be discussing is in hindsight evidence that was presented from movements of the radical Christian fundamentalist movement, and that was used to motivate and manipulate for personal gain. We, we are not, uh, we are not, you know, bad mouthing any specific religion, any specific uh, idea or belief. We are, yeah, we are talking about specific individuals and what is were later uncovered as to their motivations. Yeah, specific events involving the satanic panic itself and the people therein. Yes. And the most prominent and most famous of this is a man named Jack Chick. Now, I'm willing to bet that even if you do not know the name, you know of Mr. Chick. Because he produces, and again, I wish we had a camera so you could see what I'm holding up, these little small black comic books. On the back, it says Chick Publications. And if there's a sin you can think of, Mr. Chick made a little comic book. We got a comic for you. There are these little tracks that have various things from uh, homosexuality, from alcoholism, for drug use, up into things like Mormonism, Catholicism, Freemasonry. 
And because at the time, the Satanic Panic was pushing this whole idea that Dungeons and Dragons was literally you were summoning demons and making deals and casting spells, he had a tract for Dungeons and Dragons, or specifically the role-playing games, called Dark Dungeons. Uh, I have actually seen this one. I did my best to try to find it because if they would let me, I would have did a dramatic reading over the over the podcast for you. It is actually out of production because I tried to get a hold of one a few years ago. I. I think I may have somewhere where I can get one from, um, but from my understanding, you can order these online yeah. directly from, yes. um, I guess, uh, the manufacturer. It's, it's, I'm not the manufacturer, but uh, directly. I, I'm, from, I'm not going. I'm not going to read it out because yeah. I did. But it's here on the back. You, if you found one, okay. you can. Yeah, right there on the back of it. Yeah, but uh, I tried to specifically get Darkest Dungeon, um, and this was around the time where um, some people may be aware, some people may not. There was a movie. Uh, and I, I know that's probably something you're going to get to. Um, there's a movie that came out that was. I, I'll, I'll let you explain it because I know you prepared for it. <laughs> okay. So first of all, let's the, the basic story of Dark Dungeons. Uh, first of all, props to Mr. Chick because the Dark Dungeons tract came out around the mid to latter '80s. It revolved around uh, a group of D and D players which had a female dungeon master. And three other female players in it. So off the bat, Mr. Chick's like, hey, you know, guys aren't just playing D&D. Females are playing this game, too. And that was very progressive. Very progressive. (laughs) A very progressive angle. I don't know if I would call it progressive because the the link there that he makes is that it's witchcraft. And historically speaking, um, witchcraft is perceived more as a feminine type of. Practice. 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 Oh, yeah. The, the, yeah. Practice. practice. I mean, but, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I feel like that was more of a trying to link it to witchcraft because there was also sort of a uh, transition from, you know, just pure Satanism to it being witchcraft, which, but they say witchcraft right. is Satanism. But like, there was fear of witches. I mean, there's even still fear of witches today. There, there, there is, yes, which is sad because a lot... It's actually weird because originally, I'm sorry to, to take the, the, the power away from them, the first practitioners of satanic and black magic were not women. They were men. I mean, we literally... His name was Faust. The Faustian barters, Mephistopheles. He sold his soul for power. Now... The, the practice of Wicca and all that, which later came in from the, the European influences, yes, those were the, the Wicca practices the, the, were mainly more of a female influence. Uh, and then in, the, then in the Bible, which is where a lot of this came from, the few mentions of witchcraft and witchery, uh, like the, the sorceress who called forth the spirit of Samuel to speak to King Saul was a female. So that's kind of led to the more push of that, you know, it's particularly women, but there were actually some men who were part of the Salem witch trials. Which and that that is an entire topic for just folks. There are not us. There are so many different documentaries and books on the various aspects of the Salem witch trials. I recommend you look into it and see again how that even the appearance of fear can lead to some of the most atrocious things that you could commit to your fellow man. Uh, but back into the discussion here. So dark dark dungeons. It tells the story of two, focuses on uh, two individuals, Debbie and Marcy. Uh, Debbie plays a, uh, a cleric named Darkstar. Marcy plays a elven rogue named Elfleaf. Uh, while playing D&D, Elfleaf is killed via trap. 
by a poisonous trap. Uh, which, by the way, I should add, there were no saving throws made. The dungeon master just killed her. That's just wrong. That's just wrong. Uh, and apparently, while playing D&D, they, there was the belief that they were gaining actual powers as their characters progressed. Uh, Marcy snaps when her character, I'm sorry, when her character, Blackleaf, is killed. Uh, and she would later go on to, in the tract, in the, in the comic, take her own life, literally with the, leaving the note of, she is unable to live without her character. Now, while this is happening, Debbie is approached by Miss Frost, the dungeon master, or dungeon mistress, uh, and says that as her cleric has reached eighth level, she is now ready to ascend to a, a new circle and gain real power. Uh, and uh, the narrator says, due to her uh, learning to prepare herself through playing Dungeons and Dragons, uh, Debbie is taken into the Temple of Minerva and taught spells and this kind of stuff. Uh, well, later, when Marcy takes her life, I'm sorry, before that, before Mar we found out that Marcy has taken her life, uh, apparently Debbie cast a spell on her father. Uh, the spell is called, and I'm quoting directly from the Chick Track, Mind Bondage. I think there's some undertones here yeah um that i'm not going to address yes um <laughs> wise <laughs> yes also the by the way in in the artwork of the tract when she says that she cast a spell up until this point uh debbie has been drawn as a very pleasant looking young white american female at the moment where she says that her face contorts it becomes almost demonic and she looks quote unquote pure evil uh again Probably mentioned, probably trying to allude to something there. Mm. Uh, but apparently she cast a mind bondage on her father because he was going to stop her from playing D&D. And now he just bought her $200 worth of books and miniatures. So, you know, one booster box and a book. That's it. <laughs> At least in a, day, in a day's currency. Uh, later, when she uh, finds out that Marcy has, has committed suicide, she's guilt-ridden. Uh, she cannot believe that she has let this come to her friend and she wants out. And then the dungeon mistress says, no, you, you know, you, you should, you know, you should stop being Debbie. You, uh, you, uh, you should let your, your friend, you know, you should let your, your, uh, uh, your, your D and D character take over. Uh, and now while Debbie is sitting under some random tree talking, you know, talking to herself, crying, uh, in walks, uh, his, the character's name is Mike, but in every chick track i call him joe christian he is the 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 ideal christian individual that you know he he's beautiful he's perfect he's always drawn looking very well kept usually because again because of what it is some white male young person uh and he says that you know uh, i have been fasting and praying for you for those of you who don't know what fasting is fasting is where you you uh you abstain from eating for some time uh Usually, it's the, the belief is it's supposed to get you closer to, to the spiritual plane, closer to God in some aspect. But I've been fasting and praying for you, and this, that, and the other. Uh, and then he goes, that, you know, you, you are in a spiritual warfare for your very soul that you cannot even begin to hope by yourself, and you need Jesus. Well, that evening, uh, Mike takes, uh, takes her to see, he's never given his name, so I'm going to call him Preacher Bob. Uh, Preacher Bob, who quote-unquote came out of witchcraft, so he knows what she's going through, is giving a very, what we call in the South, a hellfire and brimstone lesson about how that, I'm going to use my best messer, <clears throat> witchcraft and the devil in Dungeons and Dragons is evil and you cannot come, you cannot come out of it by yourselves, that Satan the enemy is all around, and just this various whole, it takes like three pages of this spill. 
Uh, and in the end, Debbie's like, oh, oh God, I need help, where she comes to him and he forgives her and cast out. And there's these like wispy demons that leave her. And yeah. That's her XP. That, I guess that's her. That's yes. Yeah. <laughs> Is, isn't it race that take your experience and like knock you down levels temporarily? Well, that's the thing. Back, that like back at 3.5, you had negative levels. That, thankfully, 5th yeah, yeah. edition doesn't do that anymore. Uh, I'm just trying to get the stat card right here. But, but yeah, folks, I'm going to be honest. It's, it's, as, it's as idiotic as I've made it sound. It's dribble. It's dribble. But the sad thing is, there are people who believe this. Also, uh, on YouTube, there is currently an individual who, uh, who him and his D&D group did a dramatic reading of Dark Dungeons. I, I recommend, I cannot remember the guy, I, I don't remember the name of the individual at the moment, but I recommend you just type it in, D&D, uh, dramatic, uh, Dark Dungeons, dramatic reading. It's great. Uh, but now, it has come out that uh, Mr. Chick is not a very nice person. He is every stereotype that the listeners at large and the world at large think about American religious cessationalism. He passes it by a country mile to the point where he literally has tracks against things like homosexuality, uh, Catholicism, Mormonism, these other religious groups who are doing good work on their own right. He's like, no, because they're not true Baptists, by the way, he is part, I believe he's part of the Southern Baptist Convention. Because they are not Baptists and not believe this way exactly, they are wrong and you're going to hell because of it. Yes, he has a track where he says followers of Mormonisms and Catholicism are damned for hell. That, yeah, folks, that is sensationalism and fear-mongering at its best. And uh, another note about the guy, um, a lot of his depictions uh, are very anti-Semitic. Um, he's very bigoted. Um you know, so if you if you know you get curious about Dark Dungeons, uh, and you want to check it out, I would suggest. Uh, well, I'm we're forewarning you about some of the depictions in it, um, because they are very bigoted. Um, the, for the example we have on this one is it has some very anti-Semitic uh, tones to it. So um, if you know if that's something that you, if you are curious about it, just to you know just know what see, you're getting at, into. Yeah, know what you're getting into. I, I have another one that it speaks about drug use and. I'm not saying it's for sure. You know, I'm not saying it's racism, but every depiction of someone who is OD'd, who is taking drugs, who is in a certain lifestyle, there are of they are portrayed as a minority. Hmm. Yeah. So I'm not I'm not saying it, but it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck. Yeah. So yeah, folks, that if you if I would recommend if you if you want to read those, take them for what they are: sensationalist drivel and one man's broken opinion. Now, that being said, there is one, I guess, interesting thing that has come out of Dark Dungeons, and that's the fact that in 2014, yes, 2014, folks. Pretty recent. Pretty recent. A, a fan-made movie was made for it. And by the way, this movie got the official go-ahead and blessing of Chick Industries. Like, they sent him the, the script for all this— and he approved it. Not only approved it, apparently, I believe, if not, he actually gave some sort of contribution. I don't know if it was monetary or his name or something. He gave a contribution for the movie to be made. Now, I have seen this movie. This movie is satirical. It is comedic. And some of you might go, well, maybe Chick's just a troll that, you know, he actually has a decent sense of humor. No. No, he doesn't. 
These folks, if you have not seen it, it is on YouTube. It is broken like the eight episodes. Go watch Dark Dungeons because I, I'm sorry, you you guys, I'm gonna have to let you guys tell exactly just the kind of scenarios this 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 movie has. Hey James, are you R- ready to RPG? RPG. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, it, it is. So when when that happened, because I remember them getting the blessing. I don't think that they had. Um, I don't think they understood that it was a parody. I don't think they understood that. I think they literally thought, hey, they're going to remake our chick track. This is awesome. Let's give them our blessing. So and, so they have they had a uh, a Stephen King maximum overdrive kind of moment yeah. where they thought it was being serious. Yeah, exactly. And it is it is far from serious. It is just otherworldly. When you first told me about it and I went and and looked at this and I like they're talking about how the cool kids on campus who are untouchable playing RPGs. And like they're standing in this room chanting RPG, RPG. It's, it's and like an like, underground rave or something I going know. on. And I was like, this has not been a part of my RPG experience. I don't know where you guys are playing at. And, and then like it cuts to somebody's living room. They're setting out like the the the... The, the DM screen, the... By the way, speaking of that, that is something in the Dark Dungeon's actual comic pamphlet? Yes. The chick track. The yeah, chick track. The screen. There's a Dungeon Master screen. He did a lot of research he, in that. Uh, he, I mean, let's be honest, the character names, I mean, that sounds like someone playing D&D their yeah, first that, time. Very early D&D, yeah. I was going to say, those aren't bad names for yeah, characters. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, but yeah, the... And the fact that... How, how did he... With the ending... With with what is actually happening in the end, how did he okay, not spoil that? Yeah, but, we're not going to uh, spoil it. I, I'd suggest if you were a fan of RPGs, um, I would definitely check it out. It is something that is a part of our history, and it is something that it's just a good laugh. Um, you know, we're talking about like in that one scene that we're referencing, they're at like a college, like what you in in your mind picture a college toga party. People getting drunk, rowdy, and then everything stops so they can set up a D and D table, yeah. and then people are cheering like it's the, you know the Roman Colosseum. It is just beyond <laughs> what. There's we have our we know where the inspiration for D and D live plays came from. There this movie right was a pioneer of its time. Well, I think it came out after like it was it was after the yeah uh, it, it was uh, it was twenty it was twenty fourteen yeah actually Critical Role came out seven years ago in twenty fifteen. Really? I thought yes. Movie... They just had their seventh year anniversary. There we go. Possible inspiration right, right there. there. May have been. So, somebody go back and check uh, Dark Dungeons and see if Mercer or anybody in there is in that movie well, I'll, somewhere. I'll say this because I remember when the movie, maybe I found out about the movie after it came out because I remember talking to James about it and I'm, I met James after, uh, short story, friend watched Critical Role, convinced me to play D&D, which I always wanted to do but never had the chance. And then that's how I met James. Um, and so that started uh, like a five, six-year friendship. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I want to say that it was after that, but I could be wrong. It could have been out for a long time and just didn't have any – it came out with underground success. Yeah. Um, you know, we'll fact check it later. I will say that if you go watch that movie, you should then go watch Dorkness Rising so that you can get a more yeah, accurate a portrayal of, of what you're getting into with D&D. I mean, and while, while we're doing it, might as well have them go watch Mazes of Monsters, too. I mean, just... I make a night of it. Make, make a night. Yeah. Just, here's, here's, here's the thing, folks. I To me, this movie does serve... It serves two purposes. One, it's funny. It It's... It's amazing just to to look and see that this is somebody's idea of what art. First of all, I'm sorry, I I played a little bit of D and D back in college. 
we weren't untouchable. We were not, you know, there is, I don't think there is. Untouched, maybe. Untouched, yes. Not untouched. <laughs> untouchable, not in that sense. But it's the fact that this is somebody's idea and, and of, like, and he thought it was serious of what happens around these things. It's similar to the whole aspect with the, the Disney movies, where, like, you know, you have Dumbo and Song of the South, where you've got all these other at the time views of the world. I'm a big believer of don't hide that stuff. Don't do away with it. Now, say yes. At the time, this is what people thought, and you should watch this with that understanding. That, so when you come to Dark Dungeons, watch it. Yeah, make fun of it. It's funny. But realize that, sadly enough, this was somebody's actual thinking. The, the source material was put out with a serious intention. And it just, it's, I just, I can't, the, the ending of it gets me every time. Uh, so yeah, but thankfully around, let's kind of go back in time from 2014, around the latter eighties, early nineties, the satanic panic, when it referred to D and D was falling off. Uh, around this time, a man named William Schnoblin wrote a, an article, by the way, this article was made for and published by one Jack Chick, Chick Tracks. The article was called Straight Talk on Dungeons and Dragons. In it, uh, Mr. Schnoblin claims he was approached by the creators of D&D to make sure the spells and rituals in their books were authentic. Uh, and he had assembled dozens of cases involving deaths where D&D, uh, quote, was a main factor or cause, end quote. Now, I have, I have books from other early editions of D&D. The most you get is a description of what the spell does and its, and its actual, you know, damage type. There is no actual, like, you know, make this motion, do this, stab this virgin here, and boom, this happens. The closest I've come <laughs> to actually being hurt playing D&D is stepping on a D4. Yes. Uh, now, in case you're wondering what other uh, grand reputation Mr. Snowblin has... I like to list off his uh, achievements. Repertoire, if you will. His repertoire, yes. Now, why did they approach him? They approached him because, now this is according to him. This is his own words. Uh, he, is a, he was a former practicing Wiccan and, Satan, and Satanist. Uh, he was a prominent sorcerer in that community. Now, he has also claimed to be a former practitioner of voodoo, a Mormon, a Freemason, and a vampire who holds Congress and knows of werewolves. So a lot of those things are contradictory. That last part is not made up, folks. That is, his, that, that is him. He has quoted as saying that he knows werewolves. Now, I wish I knew werewolves. The, the, uh, the creators of, of D&D, of TSR, Gary Gygax, Steve Arnson, they have disputed these claims multiple times. At one point on that same 60-minute show I mentioned where uh, Gygax was actually kind of ambushed with certain questions— and the, the question was posed to him goes, look, you have all these, these things happening, and a common, you know, factor is Dungeons and Dragons. Wouldn't you want to know? He goes, I would want, I would look at it very scientifically. I would go by a case-by-case -case basis and look at it using the scientific method, and that is not what is happening. These are sensationalist, uh, sensationalist ideas that are being pushed out of fear. I mean, that's like saying, you know, 100% of these people drank water, and I'm pretty sure 100% of these people also breathed air. Yes. Uh, Mr. Schneblin in that, in that article said, quote, Dungeons and Dragons and its imitators are right out of the pit of hell. 
No Christian or sane, decent individual of whatever faith really should have anything to do with it. End quote. That is a direct quote from this gentleman. Um, sane, decent individual. We're D&D players, so we're fine. I mean, we're not sane or decent at all. <laughs> and like, yeah, again, this article was written for and published by Jack Chick. Uh, and it got to such a point where the second edition of D&D that came out in 1989 actually removed any and all mention of devils, of demons, and any other supernatural monsters, and they were given new names. Uh, now, thankfully, when third edition came out, the sensationalism had died off and the names were restored. Uh, I think most of them were like, even like abominations or horrors or abyssals, that kind of stuff. Uh, and then thankfully, in the 90s, this mania began to die down. And it did so, thankfully, in part to a, a report written by a man named Michael A. Stackpole. Now, that name may sound familiar. It was familiar to me when I was doing this report or, or building this uh, information because uh, he is a game creator and he's an author. Anybody here ever re read the, uh, the Star Wars Rogue One series? The old, le the old like, legacy series? He wrote that. Wow. Hmm. He also is a writer for Battletech. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I mean, th this this is a guy who ha he he like he's he is not a so called expert. He's a nerd. He's a nerd. Uh he published the polling report, and I have read the polling report. It it is a very in depth. There are several questions he asked. He went over it. All all the polling report is about bad and Patricia Pulling's methods in determining evil satanic things and her processes. Uh this dubbed in the the various deaths attributed allegedly to D&D, &D, as well as the flaws and errors that Patricia Pulling made as, uh, as, quote, an expert in the field. She went as far as to edit newspaper accounts to fit her narrative, which is illegal. This report states that Patricia Pulling, quote, willingly and neg negligently manufactured reports concerning suicides and murders relating to games and Satanism. Like, he, had, he has proof where she took actual articles that she testified to and changed, had them changed. Uh, thankfully, it was due to the point report that uh, BADD, Bad, Bother About Dungeons and Dragons, uh, and it was disbanded after her death and her uh, investigator's license was pulled. And in 2004, kind of the last bit of information I have, in 2004, the American Association of, Su of Suicidology and the CDC concluded that there is no link at all between suicides, murder, and fantasy role-playing games. So, yeah. Most psychologists and psychiatrists that you would talk to today, I, I think, would probably advise this as a healthy outlet. Yes. It is, it is a way that, that people can come together and express themselves in a very safe and, you know, very open area. Now, looking back, ultimately, what happened? What happened in this time? What caused all this? Because that's the things, folks, that, like we said to begin with, the satanic panic didn't go away. It shifted. Because around the latter 80s, early 90s, uh, there was this thing called the Nintendo Entertainment System that came out. And then in the early 90s, you had the Sega Genesis and the Super Nintendo Entertainment System. And so now it went from, well, our children's souls are being oppressed by Satan and Dungeons and Dragons to, you know, now they're being oppressed for video games. Uh, ultimately, what happened, it was fear. Simple as that. It was fear. Uh, these people looked, didn't, they didn't want to take a step back. They were too scared to look at themselves and go, did we cause this? Well, no, no. The easy answer is it was evil. Let's let's you know, they were they were scared, and that in itself is very saddening. Yeah, and e 
Evil is a blanket you can throw over whatever situation you need to in order to use fear to manipulate. And that's kind of what happened here. Uh, now, these, these young people, uh, Mr. Irving, uh, Mr. Egbert III, they had mental and social issues, which thankfully, in this day and age, we're starting to put more of a focus on, hey, this stuff actually is an illness and there are ways we can treat this to help you. It's no longer just, the, oh, well, he's just strange, or, you know, he's unique is the word that was always used for me. The modest kind term. Um, yes. Uh, now, and unfortunately, there is a connection between all this. And as I, much as I hate to say it, it's the parents. It's the, it, uh, with, with Irving, with, with Egbert, the issues that the investigators found was that they had a lot of issues with parental pressure to succeed. Uh, and when these parents were looking for answers, uh, we said before, they were too scared to take a step back and go, did we cause this? Is this our fault? No parent wants to know that they, through their action or inaction, they led to their own child's death. That, that is probably the most heart-wrenching thing. Yeah. And in a way, it makes sense that they went, no, no, it's not us. It has to be something else. It has to be anything else. And they saw a book with demons and dragons on the front of it, and they went, it has to be this. Uh and this sensational fear that this led to was, again, this mania was pushed by the media. Because at the time, there was we had no way to fact-check things yourself. Your only avenues of media was the newspaper, was, uh, was news reports, was television, and you know daytime talk shows. And the sad thing is that even when all this came out, that all this stuff was false, true, untrue, or just outright lies, nobody held the media accountable. They never printed any sort of redactions, anything that said, hey, we were wrong type stuff. And that in itself is what's caused the most damage. Yeah, fortunately, now with such a resource for information gathering at our fingertips, people can individually um, take that responsibility on themselves and, and seek to understand and know the things that they're seeing and hearing. Yeah. Uh, now, folks, we, we are kind of, as we draw to the end of this, unfortunately, this is going to be a two-parter. Uh, I say unfortunately because I, I could talk about this all day long because the the next part of this, we've given you the history of of the satanic panic and to kind of uh, hammer home exactly what the damage it dealt was. I think the next episode is going to be the more anecdotal stories Yeah, because I've got so many. I know James has. I believe if we can, if we can uh, release our tech goblin from his cave once more next week, I think we will let him come back and join us. Uh, but yeah, ultimately, folks, fear. The way to overcome fear is through wisdom. You gain wisdom by understanding and asking questions. Yep. Don't be afraid to look into something. If something scares you, there's a reason why. Find out the reason and then try to move past it. Uh, that is ultimately my, my lesson for everyone this week is to try to understand why you're scared of something. Uh, it could be D&D. It could be you know the neighbor next door. It could be somebody's lifestyle you don't fully understand. My neighbor's really weird. I'm pretty sure he thinks his neighbor's really weird too, James. He would be right. <laughs> All right. With that, we will uh, go ahead and, I guess, sign off for this one for the day. Uh, looking forward to coming back next time and continuing the discussion, the anecdotes, a bunch of stories we have prepped. But uh, for us here at Playing With Advantage, I am Kenneth Moffat. And I'm James Bardwell. And I'm Matt the Tech Goblin. Don't let him put me back in. Get in the hole. Get back in the cage. <laughs> We want to say thank you all for joining us today. Be good to each other. Uh, with that, I will say goodbye. Goodbye.